1: Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in.
2: Welcome back to Tuesday Buckeye Talk here for the game. Doug Laymarese, we're going to do. Michigan side of things, not exactly rants, but a Michigan discussion. The Wednesday pod will be Ohio State rants. We'll really zero in on the Buckeye side of things. Then Thursday we'll have a gambling show and a Q&A rapid fire. Friday we'll have the game preview. So we don't normally give you a Tuesday podcast here at Cleveland.com um at Buckeye Talk, but it's I mean it, you know, it's the week. So I have I've rewatched Michigan in a multiple games. The games I thought mattered most, obviously got a good look at them against Illinois last week. And I just want to give you my thoughts from focusing on Michigan and how I think Ohio State matches up with the things that Michigan has and the Michigan does. And after getting a hard look at it and watching everything and taking some notes, I do actually think this matchup is pretty good for Ohio State. Obviously, both teams have good players. Obviously, the Blake Corm injury, which we don't have clarity on, is a huge part of this couple other guys. I mean, everybody's hurt, right? Who, who's it running back for Ohio State is a huge part of this. What if Jackson Smith and Jigma would somehow play, which I don't think anyone's counting on. Um, but, there's, but just like the style of play, what each team does well, I actually think the puzzle pieces of fitting weakness to strength and that kind of thing, I actually think it's a little even better for Ohio State than I realized until I dug in more on Michigan this week. So, I will start off by saying, so we'll do that. We have two things at the end we'll have. One is we have a new reporter at Cleveland.com who started Monday, and his name is Jimmy Watkins, and he's going to be something called our rivalry reporter, which means he is going to focus on, through the lens of the teams that readers and uh, and listeners of Cleveland.com care about, he's going to sort of focus on their rivals and the rivalry. So he's not like covering Michigan, and he's not covering the Pittsburgh Steelers, but he's covering the Browns-Steelers rivalry, and the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. So what a great week to start. So on Monday, he was up in Ann Arbor for Michigan interviews. So I talked to him for about 15 minutes and got a view live from in the room of what he thought of Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan players. And then Nathan has an interview with John Wortham, who's one of the producers of the new documentary uh, Rivals coming out that I guess will be on the Big Ten Network on Saturday after the game, I think it is. So just a little hint about – we've talked about that – documentary uh, a little look at like how they made that kind of thing but I want to talk about Michigan football first and I just want to say this you guys send a lot of text to us during the game which is great but the later a game gets uh, we can't read the text because we're pounding out our stories and we're getting ready for what's next maybe we're sending some texts but we're not as involved looking at it and then Sunday uh, was a travel day so I had a super super early flight And then I had some things with my daughter, my wife was out of town. And so Nathan and I recorded that podcast on Sunday night, the Monday pod that you guys heard. And I had not looked at all of the texts from during the game. And now I have. And man, was it hot. There were lots of F-bombs. There were lots of people calling us idiots. Lots of people demanding that if we didn't you know, go after Ryan Day in the post game news conference that they were going to cancel the tech subscription. I don't know if anybody did because we didn't go after Ryan Day hard enough. A um, lot of people bailing on C.J. Stroud and the Heisman conversation. And we're going to try to do a healthy survey this week for part of the preview pod or the rapid fire pod. And I'm just curious, like where everybody's heads are at. Clearly, Ohio State had some things that went wrong against Maryland. But as I kind of then said on the Monday pod, it's like, listen, you know, Sometimes when you just have a bunch of close wins or, or wins where you don't look great, that's what you focus on. But, like, everybody has bad games. So, like, is it indicative, is it indicative of, a, of a fatal flaw in the Ohio State team? Um, that's the question. But you guys were, whew, I think it's when you thought Ohio State was going to lose. Man, you were mad. Oh, and that's great. It's great to be mad. But you're mad at us a little bit, too, which is fine. You're paying for the right to be mad. If you want to pay for the right to be mad at us. Great slogan. Six one four three five zero three three one five. Let's talk about. I have three things on each side of the ball with Michigan that I want to talk about. All right. One's the run game. Start with the run game for Michigan. We don't know the Blake Corum injury. My assumption is that Blake Corum will play with the brace on and not quite be himself. Jim Harbaugh. That's just based on the fact that he at least was walking around on Sunday. Um, he did come back in one for one play, but it bothered him. You know, it's not the worst knee injury then. But I don't know that I don't think he'll be back to 100% on Saturday, but I think he'll probably try to go because it's the game and he's their most important. I think he's their most important player. And so I think that will matter. But when you look at their run game, we did get and obviously we've, we've praised their run game. but We did get a little pushback from some people who, who looked at stats. And if you look at stats, Ohio State actually does average more yards per carry, I believe, than Michigan does. Um, or it's very, it. yeah, they do. Ohio State is 5.53 yards per carry. Michigan is 5.51. Ohio State has run it 405 times, and Michigan has run it 487 times. So Michigan runs for like 243 per game, 244. Ohio State runs for like 204. So Michigan runs it more, but statistically you can make a case. It's like, hey, how come you guys say, Ohio State's run game is a problem and Michigan's is great. And Ohio State averages more yards per carry. I I do just think like if anybody would watch it for a while, you would come around to the idea of how much better Michigan is at this. And they make blocks. And when you watch, I went back, one of the games I watched was Michigan against Penn State. And they just ran over Penn State that whole game. But there were a couple goofy plays in the first half that gave Penn State two touchdowns and Michigan didn't cash some stuff in. And then they popped it in the second half. Donovan Edwards had a long touchdown run, 60 plus Blake Coram had a long touchdown run, 60 plus. And they were both runs that reminded me of the Blake Coram run from the second half against Ohio state. Last year that I've talked about ad nauseum, where you look and you say, man, there's like, if not eight perfect blocks, like five or six perfect blocks. So Ryan Hayes, their left tackle, really athletic. They run a play where they'll run right. And they pull the left tackle, the left guard in the center. And, uh Oli Oluwatimi, their center, is one of the best centers, maybe the best center in the country. Veteran guy, transfer, really athletic, can get out and go. Ryan Hayes, left tackle, I think really athletic can get out and go. And they'll pull the, the the three guys on the left side of the line, and the left tackle goes and gets a linebacker, and the two interior guys uh take care of guys on the edge, and there's a cutback lane, and those backs know how to hit it. And so you can see that. That was one of the touchdown runs they hit, and it's just beautiful. And then other times, you know, they'll just block down, and they're really good. I think the angles of the blocks they make, they don't just block the guy in front of them. They block him with the correct angle to create the hole so there's room for the back. And you can just seal them where see them where it's sealing off an edge. They'll bring a, an offset tight end around and have him kick out on the edge guy and then the tackle will block down and they'll create a, a hole on the edge like that. Boom, there goes the back. They'll create stuff in the middle and as much as we've talked a lot about the Ohio State backs not hitting inside holes, both Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards hit that inside hole. Corm is obviously a huge part of that because if it's there, he hits it. And there's a lot of timing to their run game. Holes don't stay open forever, Buckeye talk. So Blake Corm will hit a hole when it's there. And... He doesn't need much, right? He can. He he sees. He has really good vision. I think you can see the vision difference between Ohio State backs and Michigan backs. I think Edwards, Edwards is a little bit more of an in-space guy. And again, Edwards didn't play last week either. But I think you assume he'll be back this week. And if they have to go heavy with Edwards, that's a borderline five-star guy that Ohio State looked at. You know, I think they can do a version of what they do running the ball. They won't be as good. But the bottom line is that offensive line gets pushed. You can see him in short yardage. They'll get push, they'll they'll create holes, and the back hits the hole. And it it's simple, except when you watch Ohio State this year, especially in short yardage, and suddenly it's not simple. So you have a greater appreciation, I think, for the Michigan run game because of what Ohio State has failed to do this year. So quorum's a huge part of it. The line is really good only Timmy has started every game for them. Everybody else has been in and out a little bit, but they're really settled on some guys. And then they'll, they'll use three tight ends sometimes. And they do this look where they'll have three tight ends on the same side of the line. So they really get an unbalanced line. And then obviously, you know, sometimes they'll run behind the tight ends. Sometimes they'll use that right guard and right tackle. Usually the tight ends are on the left. They'll use that right guard and right tackle to create a cutback lane the opposite way, a little bit of misdirection. Again, they call it really well. Matt Weiss is the quarterback's coach. He's the co-coordinator up in the booth. Sharon Moore is the offensive line coach. He's the co-coordinator down on the sideline. Little pass game, run game, right? But you can just see there's a lot of sophistication in it. And then there's a lot of precision to it. And there's just much more precision to it than there is in the Ohio State run game. So it's what they do. They have to be good at it. And if Blake Corum can't go, or if Blake Coram's 60% of himself, it's, really going to matter it's really 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 going to matter but it's not going to go away completely so if you look at the stats and you say hey what's up what's up is it's not they did hit and Jim Noles has talked about this the escape hatch he talked about it last week when I very purposefully asked him about the run game a week early to lay the groundwork of this Michigan run game discussion and he talked about knowing guys knowing where the escape hatch is for the run game And so the other thing, they're really going to have to tackle. The secondary guys for Ohio State are going to have to tackle. The corners are going to have to tackle on the edge. And the safeties are going to have to tackle in the middle of the field. Because when you go back and watch the two big runs against Penn State, part of that, right, they block it upright. But both times you also see a safety either take a bad angle or the way the play shifts, the way Penn State rolled safeties or the way Michigan maybe got them to roll the safeties a certain way. It creates a gap and the safeties out of position. Ronnie Hickman is going to be huge in this game, I think. And Ronnie Hickman's going to have to tackle. Because you could see that quorum run that was 60-plus had a chance to be tackled at 12. And it wasn't. And the safety let it out of the house. So I, you're not going to stop them from getting a hole and having some pulling guys get second-level blocks on linebackers. The safeties are going to have to tackle. Lathan Ransom and Ronnie Hickman. Huge, huge in this game. Because Eichenberg will be there at the point of attack, but they they do pull a lot. And they're going to have they'll, – they'll have an offset tight end or a fullback who will lead a guy through a hole sometimes. So they're going to be taking on Tommy Eichenberg in the hole. Um, but when it gets to the second level, the safeties are going to have a chance to make plays, and they're going to have to stop them. So not that we didn't know that, but, man, I, I could see Ronnie Hickman being the player of the game for Ohio State in this game. And he, I think he's the kind of guy you want in that situation. Okay. One of the other things for Michigan is they are just they are just not explosive at all. They are not explosive in the pass game at all. And that matters because it forces them to march. And we all know that, right? And they are not great in the red zone as a result. And you can see some of the games where they have a little bit of trouble. It starts off because they are... Moving the ball, but they're not cashing it in. So we've seen that be an issue for them before, just by comparison, right? Explosive pass plays. And this is not news to anybody, but you need context. Ohio State this year, pass plays of 20 yards or more. Ohio State 54, that's seventh in the nation. Michigan 31, that's 90th in the nation. Pass plays of 30 yards or more. Ohio State 28. That's fourth in the nation. Michigan, 12. That's 99th in the nation. So Ohio State's doing like two and a half a game, and Michigan's doing one a game. A big explosive pass play. So it's not going to be there. And we'll get to J.J. McCarthy in a second. That means they're going to have to march. In the red zone this year, Ohio State is second in the nation in percentage of scoring in the red zone. They scored 96.3% of the time in the red zone. 52 of 54, second in the nation. Michigan is eighth, 93.2 percent of the time. 55 of 59 in the red zone. But here's the difference: Michigan kicks a lot more field goals. Michigan's, and this is what matters in the red zone, your touchdown percentage. Michigan's touchdown percentage in the red zone is 64.4. Ohio State's is 79.6. So Ohio State's that's mu- that's a big difference. That's like a like w- once per game where Michigan's settling for a field goal where Ohio State's scoring a touchdown. And if you do make them march and you stiffen a little bit, you can see them bog down sometimes in the red zone because you don't necessarily trust J.J. McCarthy's decision-making and then everything gets a little bit tighter in there and it, they have trouble. Like that is not, that touchdown percentage is not great. So if Ohio State can hang in and hold them, this is the thing every day, hold them the field goals in the red zone. I really think it matters here because there are going to be times when Michigan's going to put drives together. You could see that in the first half against Penn State, they were outplaying Penn State a ton, but they were held to field goals in the first two drives. And then Penn State got a couple goofy plays, and Penn State led at the half because Michigan was kicking field goals while dominating in the run game. So the red zone, I think, really matters here also from the Michigan side of things offensively. And then the last thing is J.J. McCarthy. As the quarterback, he if he sets his feet and a lot of times they'll roll the pocket with him. So he's going to be out of the pocket if he if his feet are in a good spot and sometimes they're not even set, but sometimes if he rolls and gets moving forward a little bit, he'll rip it. He really will rip it. If his feet are off, he'll he'll like it's like a hit by pitch. He'll be so off on a throw. And you saw that against Illinois, like missed a throw wide open guy in the flat last week. He'll miss throws. He'll miss throws. So I think you can sort of count on that. And they don't throw down the field. They get it out of his hands. Crossing routes in the middle of the field. Work the tight ends from those three tight end sets. Edwards certainly is a factor in the pass game out of the backfield. One of my favorite plays is when you run play action to a back and then the back releases and goes right through the hole that was there and then you throw to that back they'll do that with edwards and that can be really effective so they got to be able to cover tight ends and running backs ohio state's gonna have to do that tanner McAllister. there's probably gonna be a third linebacker in the game for ohio state a decent amount of the time i would expect because they're gonna have two and three tight ends on the field so much maybe a guy like cody simon guy like steel chambers they're gonna be caught up in that pass coverage sometimes but it's not explosive and so you force mccarthy To make four good throws on a drive. I don't know if he'll make four good throws. So that's not a surprise. His feet are a problem. They'll work him in the run game. I think he works best when it's a zone read where the back, the back goes wide and McCarthy's up the middle. He'll pop some stuff up the middle on a keeper sometimes on a zone read look. So that's real. And then he will scramble on third down. I think sometimes he wants to scramble. I think he invites pressure sometimes because he might trust his legs more than his arms in that situation. Michigan State seemed like they spied him a little bit, but there was a play where he picked up a third down because like the spy couldn't hang with him. It's like, great, your spy's there, staying with the QB, and then the QB runs and you miss the tackle because you, you're not fast enough to do it. I think that's Steel Chambers territory. I think Ronnie Hickman on the backs, Steel Chambers on McCarthy runs, are the guys that can shut this down. It's Eichenberg on the backs, in the initial hole. Then Ronnie Hickman behind him. And I think it's Steel Chambers and maybe a little Lathan Ransom. Chase McCarthy. I think you've got to spy him. I think they have to rush and contain him. Again, this is a lot of cliched stuff that you hear. Don't sack him. Don't worry about sacking him. Like don't. Wor- I, I think it's okay if Ohio State has zero sacks. Because if you... He'll step up and go. So you're better staying in your rush lanes and not letting him run and then if he does go, I think Steel Chambers has to be there for him. So I think that's what's dangerous. He will kill you on that. He will absolutely kill you. I think the Jack could work in that a little bit, right? We see Jack Sawyer moving around. Maybe he drops. Maybe he spies a little bit. You get a three man rush, or you rush three down linemen. You bring a blitzer, and then Jack Sawyer's in charge of McCarthy. I think Jim Knowles. Jim Knowles knows all this. I think he'll have a plan for McCarthy's legs. And I think he believes – I think we've talked about this. I think he believes in some of his guys in the, back, in the back seven who can keep the good runs from being great runs for Michigan. So that is my evaluation of the Michigan offense and that side of things. And so, you know, I don't know that I'm telling you anything you don't already know, Buckeye talk, but I thought it was important. Again, a couple little quick notes, right? 24-24-1 in Ohio Stadium in the shoe. In the rivalry, right? 118th year. But in the shoe, this is the 50th game in the shoe, 24 24 and one. Michigan's last win in Columbus, 2000. Long time, nine game losing streak in Columbus. Overall in Columbus, Ohio State leads 28 27 to two. All right, let's talk defense. Defensively, Michigan's defense. I think they can replicate to some degree what. Penn State did with Joey Porter and Kalen King, where they had sort of like a a top end corner and then a young guy playing really well. I think DJ Turner and Will Johnson replicate that to some degree, but there was a big Michigan State receiver who sort of had a huge game for Michigan State. Keon Coleman, he's 6'4", 210. He has 50 receptions on the year against Michigan He went five for 155 in a touchdown, and they really had a hard time covering Keon Coleman. And as good, and I think Ryan Day respected, I think the coaches respected Penn State's corners, but you saw Marvin Harrison Jr. do his thing against Joey Porter in that game. So I do think Michigan's corners are good, but I think on both ends, we can see how MHJ Might still do his thing. Because against Penn State, he still did it. And Michigan had trouble with a bigger receiver before, before, right? And Marvin 6'3". So I think you need to respect the Michigan corners. But I don't think they'll stop Marvin Harrison Jr. And he might be in a pretty good place. So keep that in mind. Because I do respect the Michigan corners, but keep that in mind. Another thing, Michigan defensively has not faced anything like C.J. Stroud, which, again, is not necessarily news to anybody, but I don't know if we realize um, to what extent. Okay, So the quarterbacks they have faced this year, the ranking I was looking at is yards per attempt, top 100 guys in the country who qualify for this. The highest ranked quarterback in yards per attempt, which is a way to reflect like guys who are making plays down the field, right? So it's, you know, the more you complete, right? Because an incompletion, that's zero yards per attempt. So you don't want a terrible completion percentage. It's hard to have good yards per attempt. But you also want to be making some plays down the field. CJ Stroud's first in the country. He averages 9.7 yards per attempt. All right. So that's pretty good. And that is a typical reflection of a very good quarterback. Uh, Hendon Hooker, for instance, is third at 9.5, okay? Michigan this year hasn't faced any quarterback who ranks higher than 48th in the nation in yards per attempt. And that's Sean Clifford and uh, Talia Tonga-Vailoa who are tied there. They average 7.7 yards per attempt. The other guys, they only faced six guys who are even in the top 100. Uh, Peyton Thorne from Michigan State, and uh, Tommy DeVito from Illinois, they're both 67th in the country. I Only faced five guys. And then um, Spencer Petrus from Iowa, he's 95th in the country. This is on the year in yards per attempt. So again, CJ is 9.7 yards per attempt. They haven't faced a, a primary quarterback who averages more than 7.7. And in any individual game, the best that any quarterback did against Michigan was Spencer Petras was 7.9. So these are the, uh, the the quarterbacks don't matter because they haven't faced anybody very good. Talia is the best. The starting quarterbacks, these are their numbers against Michigan. 16 for 20, 137. 13 for 36, 113. 4 for 16, for 17. 20 for 30, for 207. That's Tonga-Vailoa. 21 for 31, for 246. 24 for 49, for 203. 7 for 19 for 120, 17 for 30 for 215, 14 for 29 for 166, 6 for 11 for 56, and 21 of 30 for 178. So they haven't let a starting quarterback throw for more than 246, but they haven't played anybody good. And I do think at least Ohio State in facing Braylon Allen at Wisconsin has has faced at least something. And again, the Wisconsin offensive line isn't great this year, but... They face something that more replicates Michigan's offense than Michigan has faced that replicates Ohio State's offense. So I do think there's a reasonable chance for C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. to get loose here. And the last part of this is, I don't think the Michigan pass rush is great. Mike Morris has seven and a half sacks. When you watch them, they are not Beating tackles off the snap a ton. A lot of, it seems like they make their money on coverage sacks. Both Michigan and Ohio State have 31 sacks this year. It's more coverage sacks, but I think maybe because like the receivers can't get open against the pretty good Michigan corners. But did I always say 31 sacks for both Ohio State and Michigan this year? But uh I think the Ohio State receivers are better and will have a better chance to get open. And the thing last year that screwed up the game was Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. PFF is a good comparison tool. PFF this year, Mike Morris, his pass rush grade by PFF is good. It's 83.7 to 83.7. In comparison, Aiden Hutchinson's pass rush grade last year was 93.4. David Ajabo's was 87.9. Mike Morris has 35 pressures in 11 games this year. Last year, Aiden Hutchinson had 74 pressures in 14 games. And David Ajabo had 43 in 14. So, they don't have Aiden Hutchinson. Your eyeballs tell you that and the stats tell you that. And Aiden Hutchinson changed the game last year. So, I think Ohio State's chances with Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones of blocking the Michigan edge guys, I think they're decent. I think they're pretty good. Now, Mozzie Smith in the middle, right? They're like Ohio State getting something going in the run game, I think is more problematic for Ohio State. And we'll talk about that when we do the Ohio State side of things uh, on a podcast uh, tomorrow. But for what Ohio State does best, I actually think Michigan is somewhat significantly less prepared to handle that than they were a year ago. And for what Michigan does best, which is run the ball, I think Ohio State is significantly more more prepared to handle that than they were a year ago. So lots of respl- respect for Blake Corum and lots of respect for that offensive line. But I think Ohio State can keep Michigan from steamrolling them. And if they can do that, then I think the Ohio, Ohio State pass game will get loose. So that's me watching Michigan more in-depth, taking more notes, looking up more things than I have. You know, I've been paying attention to Michigan and watching Michigan all year, but I, I wanted to dive in. So that's my quick brush on this now. So we're going to get to Jimmy Watkins next. He will give you the info, for sort of the mood in Ann Arbor, and then we'll end the podcast with Nathan and L. John Wortham. And then we'll get back Wednesday with what we normally do, which is Ohio State Rants. I'll do a, t- a call out for tech subscribers. And then we'll do Rapid Fire and the gambling show and the preview stuff. And even though there's Thanksgiving, we're doing pods every day. Maybe we'll have a day with two pods. So I know a lot of folks were upset during the Ohio State-Maryland game. Reasonably so. But I I I do think if anybody was like, this quorum thing's a pretty big deal. But anybody who even, when Michigan was healthy, was like, I don't know, I think this matchup, I I do think, again, the puzzle pieces kind of fit more for Ohio State than they do for Michigan. doesn't mean Michigan can't win, but I think think you can see how it can work for the Buckeyes. Okay, that's my Michigan breakdown. When we come back on Buckeye Talk, it'll be Jimmy Watkins, our new Cleveland.com employee. He'll probably be on Buckeye Talk more in the future, right? He's writing about rivalries. That'll matter, you know. Ohio State, Shahan J. And, and I, on our uh, show for Apple Podcast subscribers and the College Football Survivor Show this week, did the five best rivalries of the playoff era. So these nine years of the college football playoff, or the ninth year of the playoff, and our definition of that was they could you know, occur in the playoff or during the regular season that affected who made the playoff. So guess what? Ohio State's in that conversation. So maybe that'll be some stuff for Jimmy to write about. I think you guys probably know, but if you want to go listen to that, you know, it's a couple bucks a month to subscribe. It's on Apple Podcasts, College Football Survivor Show. All right, we'll be back with Jimmy Watkins right after this. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. Let's get to Jimmy Watkins sitting in a coffee shop in Ann Arbor with lots of loud people around him. So I tried to cut out all the noise as much as I could, but we're jumping right into this interview. And if you hear some percolating, it's just uh, some Michigan folks having uh, a delicious, I don't know, croissant.
3: That's right. I'm in Sweetwater Coffee. It's actually, I was a little oh. worried about uh, our our sound background here. We had a, a lively crew sitting near me, but they just left. So it worked out.
2: You said, I'm doing a podcast. Get out. That's right. Um, I pulled rank. We'll tell you more about Jimmy in a moment, but what you should know is that Monday was his very first day working for Cleveland.com, and what we told him to do was go to Ann Arbor for the Michigan News Conference. So we are here to talk about what Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan players had to say Monday. Jimmy, you wrote a story that's at Cleveland.com, sort of around the mood, around Jim Harbaugh. You, It seemed like your takeaway was, hey, dude. You kind of were puffing out your chest is a phrase I believe you used after Michigan beat Ohio State a year ago. Like, where is that now? Was there no chest puffing in Ann Arbor on Monday?
3: I mean, there's always, um, or with with coaches before games, there's an inherent element of trying to build respect for the opponent. Um, so many cliches, you know, they're so talented, this and that. But particularly given... the dichotomy between last year's postgame presser and today's news conference where, where Harbaugh was specifically asked about some of the stuff he was saying. And it's like, it's almost like he like pretended that he didn't say it. And like, for (laughs) example, somebody asked him about the thing that the Gattis said last year, I think he said, the Ohio state's a good team, but they're a finesse team. They're not a tough team. And, and Harbaugh cut a reporter off and said, well, I, he was like sort of stammered he's like well I didn't say that so it doesn't it doesn't matter you, you are the face of all of that and you got the ball rolling yeah. by after the game like I said like you said like I said puffing his chest out and it's just like if you, if you go back if people if you care this much about it go back and watch the news conference from after last year's game that dude thought he cracked the code he came out of that game thinking hey not only did we win this game this way we think we can win at like more than I don't want to say every year, but often by playing this style. We think that we have developed the perfect contrast to Iowa State football, which is bully ball. We're going to push you around, and oh, by the way, if if he did do that, well, now you got something to sell. That's like a that's a different Big Ten powerhouse to yeah. sell, and, and football players are inherently tough guys. So, like, there is a lot that is easy to sell them. Um, if you, if you establish that, and I think he thought that he had that. And so for him to walk that all back this week to, to some degree, I understand it. Like I said, every coach every week is going to say the opponent is so great. Bill Belichick, I think had did what he do, like a thousand words in seven and a half minutes on the two and four bears this, this year at a press conference. Yeah. But it was just over the top. It was, it was over the top, and it was like – like I almost wanted to – I only got to – by the way, for this is a little inside baseball. It's a little bit harder to get a question in at a Michigan press conference than I did at a Nebraska press conference where I just was. But I almost wanted to ask him, like, dude, why are you doing this? Like, why are you just acting like this game isn't what it is?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because they have done that in the past, and I, I've been – it's been so interesting, Jimmy, because Jim Harbaugh is the embodiment of this rivalry in being the guy who, as a player, guaranteed a win and then backed it up. And when he guaranteed a win as a player, Bo Shanbacher said, hey, guys, your quarterback guaranteed to win. You better make sure he's right. And it, it meant something. And then he's been, I think, reluctant at times to fully embrace, I think, at least the way he talks about it, what the rivalry means. And I thought part of it was, well, you can't say this is the most important game of the year that defines your program if you don't think you can win it. Because then if you're not winning it and it's the most important game, then it's like, oh, you were a failure as a program. But now they've won one. So I'm very curious how Ohio State reacts. But like, did you feel, whether it's from Harbaugh or any of the players that spoke on Monday, did you feel an air of confidence? Because I do think intangibles matter in this rivalry. And I'm curious how much that in, an equation of confidence and of the intangibles has changed for Michigan now that they're coming in off a win.
3: Yeah, actually, it's I think one of the possible explanations for the strange behavior today is confidence. Um, I was talking to a couple of the B guys about that. I was, I was asking them because I want to make sure that I wasn't off base. Obviously, it's my first day, I've you know, I've watched a ton of Jim Harbaugh pressers to get ready for this, but I'm not around him all the time. So I'm like, hey, that was weird, right? And they're like, he, he usually is a little bit like that. But yeah, that was a bit over the top. And what's what one of the guys said to me was he's usually only like that when he feels like they're going to roll.
2: Uh. And so
3: I don't, I don't want to be, you know, drum up too much spice here, but that's a possible explanation for that. And I, I do think in general, apply this to bigger life. What do they always tell you in school about the big, bad bully? Who's, you know, making fun of people and push people around. Well, they, they always tell you, well, that's because he, he doesn't love himself. Right. Not to get, not to get too philosophical on the pod, but, there is that that's that's true of the inverse is true as well. The quiet kid, the quiet kid feels good about himself. And so that that certainly could play into to part of it. It's also it could also be and a lot of Ohio State people were, were saying this on Twitter today. Maybe he's, he's worried the other way. Maybe, you know, he's got too big for his britches and, and he's worried about the hell storm that Brian Day is about to rain
2: upon him. Who knows? So, so, Jimmy, you're you're new to us. You're new to all this. You're new to Buckeye Talk. Number one, we love to get philosophical on the pod. Don't apologize for that. And now I am feeling weird because I'm a bully on this pod. And so your bully explanation here now has me questioning myself because maybe I need to look inside. Maybe Jim Harbaugh and I both need to look inside. I do have a transcript. I know you were there, but I want to go through this. Here's Jim Harbaugh's answer to the question about saying – some people are born on third base right so I, he was asked about the third base comment let me read from this third uh third base it's it's a base you know I don't even know football do you have bases in uh, in football it's more of a baseball you know John and I we we get a wiffle ball and you know you' run to third base that's a triple you know if you if you hit it in the gap in the outfield and uh, you know no bases in this sport so I don't even uh I don't even know what that means. I don't. I don't know where that came. I don't know who said that. That uh, that has nothing to do with this game. I. I don't, I don't even know what a base is. So, triples. I mean,
3: triples are worth three bags. Field goals
2: are worth three points. Maybe ask our kicker about it. Ask uh, Jake Moody. You know, big triple guy. So um, that wasn't because that's a thing, right? And and I'll be very curious, like. How that gets played if Ohio State guys who are going to be going through interviews on Tuesday, what they say about that. But the idea that like Jim Harbaugh is not leaning into that um, also makes sense because this is a guy, he's in and he's out. He like will mock somebody or call somebody out and you're like, what do you, why, what did they do? And then he's like, what, what? I didn't say... And, and that's kind of what he does. So this is, while it's weird, and by the way, like top five answers on the board, here's the question. Name things people say after a Jim Harbaugh press conference. Bing, number one answer. That was weird, wasn't it, is number one on the board. So, like, this is not new, but I'm just, like, do you, what was the player mood? Did you? Because I it, listen. You drop in. It's like, hey, that's that's identify people's moods. But did you think, yep, that's a that's a football team that feels good about itself? Because I do think the issue at times, Jimmy, in the past several years, is Michigan has tried to maybe drum up some some fake confidence. Maybe "fakes" the wrong word, but they've really, I think they overextended themselves like with the revenge tour a couple of years ago and times when they've really tried to make sure they were presenting themselves confidently because they weren't winning on the field. What was the player vibe?
3: I think they were trying to mirror their coach. And I think that's what good programs do. I think the more people that you have sounding like your coach, the, the better generally of a trajectory that you're on as a program. But of course, these are, these are, 18 to 22 year olds who do not have nearly the level of training, uh, again, again, dealing with the media that Jim Harbaugh has. So some of it slips out, right? Like Ryan Hayes is, is sort of trying to say exactly what Jim Harbaugh said. And, you know, oh, we respect them and this, you know, they're a great team. And I even asked him like, shouldn't there be, shouldn't there be more animosity on your guys it's like this is a rivalry this is that's what it should be he goes no 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 but then two answers or two questions later he says if we don't win this game then what is the season worth There's some with the with the players there are little nuggets that come out like that where you can get a, a little window into what the true psyche of the team is they're still like and that's that's obvious and it should be obvious that, which is why I was, which is why I wrote what I wrote today. Cause it's so obvious to all of us that everyone's on both sides. Marbles are all on this game. It's ridiculous to pretend otherwise. And even when the players were trying to today, they could, they couldn't right? like, so I think they are trying to keep it coy, just like their coach, but they're, they're still a to, to your point about confidence. It's hard to, to get a read on, but I still think there's that um, sense of, desperation is the word that's coming to my brain but it's not it's a step below that it's just like the the, the proper piece of importance is being placed on this game they understand that
2: so i know jim harbaugh did not directly answer any questions about blake Corm or donovan edwards the two michigan running backs edwards did not play last week Corm obviously went out with the knee injury last week did you get any sense of their confidence in their run game, any like again leaking from the players, how they thought their run game matches up with Ohio State. We all know Michigan starts with the run. What was the vibe around that part of their game?
3: The one thing that stands out to me about that is when when Brian Hayes said that regardless of who the running back, they're not changing their identity, which is not not surprising to anybody. I don't think there's a game. my one of something I'm going to write about later this week. And something that I'm curious about is, is what happens if the game script forces them to be a team that's different from what they've been like, what if they do have to throw the ball 40 times, which they haven't done at all this season. That's interesting to me, but I think that they still, I mean, they've been bulldozing literally every team they've played besides Illinois. And even like, I think they ran for 260 or something against Illinois too. They just weren't as efficient in the red zone, but so that that with when you're doing that like last year after the game ryan day said that when when a team is running the ball against you and you know they're going to run it like it's it's especially deflating that wasn't the exact quote, but it's that's it (laughs) so whatever the opposite of that feeling is that's what michigan's feeling every week because every team knows that they're going to pound it on the ground 40 times a game 44 i think is what they they average um per game carries wise and nobody has stopped them from doing it so I, and I personally think that's more of a, of a offensive line thing than it is a running back thing. Don't get me wrong. Blake Corham's an awesome running back. Donovan Edwards, an awesome running back. But if you're going to Michigan, you're an awesome running back. And so if they get the push up front, that's, what's going to determine
2: it. Ryan Hayes, the guy you've referenced a couple of times, a left tackle has had a really good year. Um only at center is maybe the best center in the country. Uh, he's the only guy who started every game, I think, on that offensive line. They've had some guys in and out otherwise, but it, with coached by Sharon Moore, I mean, it's 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 a very high-level offensive line that obviously, like you said, they're not – whoever get, is getting the ball, Quorum's a difference maker. Edwards is a difference maker. They're going to run it regardless. Who were the players that talked on Monday besides Hayes?
3: Brian Hayes, Mozzie Smith, and Mike Sternstill, uh, the DB.
2: Okay. Mozzie Smith, the defensive tackle. So just three players. No J.J. McCarthy. No quarterback. JJ's
3: talks tomorrow. JJ, JJ talks, talks tomorrow. And okay. we were supposed to get Jalen Harrell, but the interviews ran long. Oh, that's good. Oh, no, if they run long, that's
2: good. There's too much information. That's okay.
3: Well, my, my point is that we can wait. We can wait for the players. Yeah,
2: that's true. I mean, it's our job. Just, you're, in a, you're in a sweet water right now. I've been in that sweet water. <laughs> uh, I think there is a peppermint hot chocolate that I would recommend. Have you had that yet?
3: You can, you can smell it the second you walk in. That's not what I got, but I feel like I have had it.
2: That's number two on the board. Number two, things you hear after a Jim Harbaugh news conference, you can smell it the second you walk in. It comes in right behind. That was weird, right? Jimmy, who are you and why are you here? Oh, man. Yeah.
3: Whew, we really do like getting philosophical. So, I i mean, I grew up i grew up in Cleveland for the most part. I graduated from Willoughby South High School. I uh, went to Ohio University. And I'm here because this is like – this is a unique job, and and I don't know that – you know this better than me, Doug. I don't know that this job exists at any other publication in the country. So that my official job, I should tell people, is the rivalry beat. So whatever, whatever team you hate, I'm going to pr- try to provide some insights into that team that relates to the team that you love because I think that fans hate and love with the same – part of their heart it's a thin line as they say right um, and I just think that's super interesting it gives me a ton of creative freedom to do super cool stuff that is not being done otherwise and that stuff gets me jazzed up uh, as a reporter because that's all we I think all what we all crave is is creative freedom and, and when you're on a beat there is um, more of a rhythm to it for sure like have, being able to go to press conferences okay three times a week and be able to plan your weeks a little bit easier that's cool too but Forcing yourself to think outside the box, and, and hopefully that leads to to cooler ideas and bigger ideas, that really appeals to me. That is why I'm here.
2: So is Jimmy Watkins. He is the Cleveland.com rivalry writer. And it's not like this was some master plan by us. It's just the way that it works in all media companies. You have a plan to hire somebody, and then it takes two months longer than you think it's going to take. And so Jimmy's first day as the rivalry writer is the Monday of Ohio State-Michigan week, which is both perfect and not ideal. (laughs) It would have been great to have you start Rutgers week and build up to this. Right. But the thing that we do think is, so people understand this, he's not here to be the Michigan beat writer. And he's not only doing Ohio State, Michigan, he's going to do Brown Steelers. He's not here to be the Steelers beat writer, but he's here to to write and learn and talk about the teams that our readers care about because they are the rivals of the teams that our fans care about. And I do think, Jimmy, there's a lot of football in that. And maybe it'll be beyond football, right? I mean, it's there's a lot of football in that. But there's a lot of emotion in that. There's a lot of real people things in that. I think you're going to wind up writing stories, are you not? Like, again, I'm sure you have a million ideas, but it's not just – it's not really, hey, can Will Johnson cover a Mecca, a Buka? It's about I love this team and I hate that team and what does that mean, right? So I do think you'll be doing a lot of sports writing, but I think you'll also be doing like a lot of feature writing that's about the fans – and the coaches and the families that get involved in rivalries like this, and that's as we know, Ohio State Michigan week. Man, the football is just part of it. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into it, and you're going to be in that kind of thing 52 weeks out of the year.
3: It's both very daunting and very exciting. But yeah, I mean, one of the things I want to do is is hang out in the in the Muni lot with someone who's wearing the wrong colors for however long they're there and see what happens. Cause I remember growing up, my dad, my dad's a Steelers fan. He's from, he's from, he was born in in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And so when I first went to a Browns game, I was wearing a, a big Ben Jersey and I like a bunch of people were swearing at me and telling my parents they were bad parents and, and all that stuff. So I can imagine that if an adult is in that same position, who knows what kind of anecdotes can come of that stuff. But that all that stuff is is super exciting and, and what I'm passionate about doing.
2: And you will be at the game That's right. on Saturday as part of the coverage, joining me and Nathan and Steven. Uh, and and if people want to follow you, it's Jimmy Watkins, rate him at cleveland.com. And as long as Twitter still exists, where can they find you on Twitter, Jimmy?
3: Twitter's at JimmyWatkins95. If you have ideas, if there are people in your life who fit this bill, if they're, you know, they live in whatever country, but they're a fan of the other team, send me, send me a DM. Tell me what what the deal is. I'll, I'll reach out and, and maybe we can get a good story out of it.
2: Awesome. Go ahead, get the, uh, get the peppermint hot chocolate, put it on the company tab. You've earned it. The busy first day on the job, Jimmy Watkins. Thank you for joining us here on Buckeye Talk. And we will look forward to your coverage this week. And we'll look forward to what you dig up on the rivalry beat. Thanks for hanging out, Jimmy. All right. Back on Buckeye Talk. This is Nathan Baird and L. John Wortham, who was one of the producers on this new Ohio State Michigan documentary. We'll pick it up right here, right as Nathan dives into the interview.
1: So this isn't merely a recitation of the great games in the rivalry. It's sort of an exploration of the essence of of the rivalry, I guess, kind of right it's It's more about like what what makes this rivalry what it is
0: yeah, we, we didn't want to do just sort of the the dry Wikipedia style. They've been playing for more than a hundred years, and this happened in this year. Um, we really wanted to make this sort of a, a window to view rivalry in general, and why is it that all of these fans that may not have gone to the schools, they may never have set foot in Michigan or Columbus? Why are they so passionate? Why are these games so different? Why is the vibe so different than when, you know, Michigan plays Maryland? Um, and this was really sort of a, a great lens to look at rivalry more generally. What is it about tribalism? What is it about competition? And, you know, this is one of the classic sports rivalries. Um, and, it you know, it. it um, you know, we, we got lucky, honestly. I mean, it, it didn't hurt that uh this this broke so right is so relevant in November of 2022. But it just seemed like why are these two schools in states that are you know bordering states or not that far apart? There are a lot of people from Michigan that go to Ohio State, there are a lot of people from Ohio State that go to Michigan. Why do you have these dividing lines? And where else do we see those dividing lines? And what's what, what good comes out of it, what bad comes out of it, it just seemed like a great little kind of laboratory in the Midwest to study this, um, this concept of rivalry more generally.
1: It seems like you couldn't have come up with a more perfect narrator than J.K. Simmons in some ways. I mean, an, an Oscar winner, but then a guy who's from Michigan, but a longtime Ohio State fan, and he could kind of represent a little bit of what this rivalry is. Yeah, again, this is our theme of uh, getting lucky.
0: I mean, I, I guess I knew <laughs> that, uh, I, I, you know, sort of at some level we knew that he had roots there. I, I did not know that he was the perfect person for this. And, well, you know, his his father taught music at Ohio State. And he, I, I never knew that, you know, you think about Whiplash and mm-hmm. the, the, relevant to his acting career. I didn't know he had these strong feelings. And he, his voice, I mean, part of it was his lived experience, And part of it was just sort of his professionalism. I mean, his narration, I think, adds so much to this because I think you really get the sense that he lived this and gets it and got the material and sort of hit hit the right tone. That on the one hand, we roll our eyes and why are people painting their faces and getting so worked up about a football game? But also he got why this is so important and why this whole rivalry dynamic is so universal.
1: So I was, i mean, without diving too much into the details, because you know, people will be watching this, I'm sure, this weekend. But w- did what did you learn that explains why this rivalry is different than all others? Did that—that that sort of tribalism? Did it? Is there something different about it here than there is at other ones that you've looked at?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know this going in, but there is—there's a lot of history here. These are two states that you know—if if, you're—you're coastal, you might. Think they're they're very similar. In fact, there's very different. There's a lot of sort of historical reasons why Ohio State and Michigan are different. Um, I didn't realize how aligned Bo Schembechler and Woody Hayes were, and I didn't quite know sort of all the overlap there. And at some level, you know, the rivalry builds on itself, right? So the fact they've been doing you know you, you don't have any new rivalries, it takes time to date. You don't have any lopsided rivalries, sort of the, the back and forth is part of the appeal. And again, it just it seems like these these plot twists, whether it's, you know, Mich- Michigan poaching a player from Ohio who goes on to become a Heisman Trophy winner or, or you know, g- games that end dramatically that, that don't get forgotten, tie games and games played in extreme weather. All that kind of bakes itself in. And, you know, they've been doing this for more than 100 years now, but there are people that were born in, you know, the, you know, the, the freshmen that were born in whatever to 2002 may not know the history, but they still get caught up in this rivalry.
1: So yeah, I came into this rivalry as a reporter in 2019 and it was a time when Ohio state just owned this series. And there were even questions at that time about how much Michigan still cared, at least relative to this year round emphasis that Ohio state's coaches and players were putting on the game. Did, as you went through this, did you notice distinctions about the way Ohio state people and Michigan people care about this rivalry?
0: i mean i I think you're right I mean I think it's it's like auburn Alabama this year, right like if you're not having a great season, it can salvage your season you know i mean you you can go seven and four but if you if you beat Ohio State, it's a great season and play the spoiler um conversely, if you're going for the national title and you beat your rival along the way as Ohio State has done, that makes it all the more sweet um, it, it's kind of funny though there there is there is kind of this temptation. I think you see this in a lot of places. You see this in, in business rivalries and political rivalries too. There is this kind of temptation to minimize it if you're on the losing side, right? We, we don't need this rivalry anyway. Right. Or, um, but I think, you know, you saw last year in Ann Arbor um, pretty dramatically, this, this rivalry still means a great deal to both those teams and both those schools. And I, I also think, and I think this, this is really a, a feature of rivalry we don't talk about enough, I think deep down, both of those schools know they're better off for the existence of the other, and you may hate Michigan if you're from Columbus and Ohio, and if you may hate Ohio State, you, know, you ever see that bumper sticker, that, that oh, oh, I hate Ohio State? But I think deep down there's a recognition that ultimately this rivalry is a force of good, and it's making you better, and it's making you concentrate, it's making your fan base more passionate, and you may hate this team during the game, but Deep down, you know, Jack Nicholas knows that Arnold Palmer was probably good for his career, even if it cost him a couple of majors. And deep down, Apple knows that Google is good for its innovation, even if it's taking some market share. And I think we got a sense during this documentary. There's some of that, too, between these schools that this passionate rivalry this year, you know, as much as any year. But at some level, there's a recognition of like, hey, I'm glad this isn't Purdue and Maryland. Like, I'm glad there's mm-hmm. something that you're, you're, you're making me strive for. And yeah, you may disappoint me a couple of times and, you know, re- recently with Michigan a lot of times. But ultimately, I'm grateful you're in this relationship with me.
1: So our very own Stephen Means is one of the people that was interviewed for this project and was so it's been going on for a couple of years. Was the production always scheduled to take you through last season's game?
0: That that was the goal. Um, Again, we had I mean, honestly, we we had no way of knowing that this crazy game played in the snow in Ann Arbor and Harbaugh was we're going to snap this Michigan losing streak it was really kind of using this, this relationship to explore rivalry more generally. And again, I mean, I'll, I will happily admit we, uh, we for fortune, you know, the ball browns ball pretty well in our favor. Um, the goal was to, to wrap with last year's game, but we, we didn't know, you know, obviously did, didn't know what was going to be riding on it. We didn't also know when this thing was scheduled to air in November, 2022, that both these teams were going to, go into this game undefeated
1: yeah you're getting a pretty organic um like publicity campaign right now <laughs> yeah on, exactly what these teams exactly. are doing did, did you guys get to cover the 2020 experience at all because when there's no game that sort of left a void uh, the absence of that game left a void for fans any any of that discussion in this project no i mean i, I think there's a sidebar about sort of the, the role of the role of fandom
0: and all this, and the role of sort of do, doing the home versus road, but no, I mean this this was greenlit, um, you know, probably late summer 2021.
1: So okay. um, this was kind of a, a post post COVID idea. Gotcha. There's in the past year, especially the the concept of like Desmond Howard is sort of a villain for Ohio State fans is really like ramped up, and I'm sure Michigan fans have their version of that. Does that villainy kind of come through when you talk to people that are involved on either side of this rivalry that you sometimes you take an individual on the other side and you you don't know anything about them other than what they do on a football field and what they say you never know them personally, but that that hatred for the other side can get pretty visceral at times.
0: Oh, absolutely, and it's really interesting. Even you're right, though, in a team dynamic. I mean, it's it's easy when it's boxing or when it's an individual sport, right? But even in a team dynamic, you find individual athletes who you really, if you are a Michigan fan and you figure out why why you hate Ohio State, you will find a player that uh, that that sort of personifies that. Uh, but, you know, it's it's not unique to them. I mean, Lakers fans hated Danny Ainge in a way that they. Didn't hate Robert Parrish, right? I mean, and and conversely, you know, I think Boston Red Sox fans are okay with Mariano Rivera, but man, they hate Alex Rodriguez. And I think there are characters within the cast that, if you don't like Ohio State, it's for reason X. If you don't like for Michigan, it's for reason Y. And you will find a specific player who encapsulates that. You know, in the case of Desmond Howard. The fact that he, you know, is either a, a turncoat, I suspect Michigan fans like him all the more because he came over from the, from the rival kingdom. If the fact that the athlete came, you know, and, and is seen as sort of this turncoat who, who came from Ohio and crossed over the line and came to Michigan all the, uh, all the more. So, I mean, you know, I mean, so, sidebar, I, I think a transfer portal could be really interesting in this rivalry. But um, but yeah, I mean to your to your question, I give you a long-winded answer to a very good question. There, there are definitely specific figures that fans of a rivalry pinpoint as uh, there's like a scale on the opposing team of of we we hate you intensely to we, we can hold our nose and abide by you. And I think you know, I, I don't know if um, you know, did Ohio State fans hate Tom Brady twenty five years ago. I, I don't think certainly uh, you know, in the way they do Desmond Howard.
1: Right. To, to wrap this up with a, a look to the future, you know, part of the magic of this rivalry is that it's only ever been a once per year game. It's do or die. Quite often the winner moves on to something better. The loser goes home to some sort of consolation prize and the new Big Ten with no divisions and the expanded college playoff could change all that will change all that. You could get more than one the game per year if you can even call it that. So do you get a sense for what that means for the future of this rivalry?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't. It's something we talked about. It, it was, you know, it's not really documentary friendly to talk about conference expansion and sure. tournaments and. But yeah, I mean, I I would not mess with the formula because there is something so different about this game, and it's not just sort of all oh, the, the fans paint their faces. I mean, there's social science will tell you the athletes. You know, biochemistry, their testosterone levels or saliva levels are different for a rivalry game. So think about that. I mean, a Michigan, that 20 year old kid, his saliva level is different when he plays Ohio State than it is when he plays Purdue. Um, You know, we all Saturday after Thanksgiving. It's been that way for decades. If I were Kevin Warren, if I were the big, I would not mess with that. And um, rivalries are really special and they're really kind of these building blocks of sports. And yeah, if they play twice, you know, if they, if they play, it's like, you know, the same thing to a lesser extent in hoops. But, you know, if you play twice in a season or you might not play at all in a season, that's messing with something really fundamental. And um, I, I don't, you, it's sort of the, the scarcity has benefits. You, you don't want to do it twice. You don't want to do it no times. So uh, if I'm, you know, if, if I'm the Big Ten, I'm being really careful with how
1: I proceed. L. John Wertheim, thanks so much for joining us again. The project is Rivals. It'll be showing on BTN after the Ohio State Michigan game. Can't wait to see it. Thanks, appreciate it. And that will do it for this Buckeye Talk again. We
2: appreciate you guys making us part of your Ohio State coverage, making us part of your week of the game and of Thanksgiving. We'll have a pod every day, at least one pod every day. Bunch of coverage at cleveland.com/osu. Uh, A story where we have a bunch of exclusive reporting is up at cleveland.com slash OSU on Tuesday morning called Angry Sons. It's Nathan and Steven talking to lots of Ohio State parents about what it was like, what it was like with their sons losing in Ann Arbor last year and the aftermath of that and what it was like sort of living them with them for the past 365 days as they're gearing up for this thing. So now on Tuesday... We'll talk with Ryan Day. We'll talk with Jim Knowles. We'll talk with like seven or eight Ohio State players. We'll have all that coverage for you guys at cleveland.com slash OSU. And then we'll certainly be talking about that on the podcast starting on Wednesday. But for now, thanks to Jimmy. Thanks to John. Thanks to Nathan. And thanks to you guys for listening. I'm Doug LaMaurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.